Hi, and welcome back to An Academic's Life, and I am your host, Genesee Carter. So it's that time of year when the assholes and the bullies are coming out in committees and departments, whether you are having committee meetings and department meetings and interactions on Zoom or in person, and the subreddit professors, which is for professors by professors, is starting to see a increase in posts from a faculty who are saying, I have this person who is constantly yelling in committee meetings, or I, this person in my department shoved somebody else. Um, you know, what's going on? What can I do? And so I want to read an excerpt from Robert Sutton's book, The No Asshole Rule, today. So many times we who have been on the receiving end of abusive behavior from family members, friends, colleagues, we often feel like we are at fault. We've done something wrong to deserve this behavior. And we feel like if we only just, you know, say the right sentence or placate the person in the right way or have the right conversation with them, maybe their behavior will change. Well, one of the things that I've learned in going to therapy for how I've been emotionally abused and bullied in my life by people is recognizing that abusive people seek out the kind and caring and sensitive and empathetic people like me to abuse and to bully. And so I just want to say right now, like, oftentimes we are re- on the receiving end because we're nice, good people. And bullies and assholes want to take advantage of that because they're going to try to manipulate in whatever way they can to get what they want. The other issue with dealing with assholes in a department or a program is it's a leadership issue. And the reason why I want to read one of these chapters from Bob Sutton is because he is a professor of management science and engineering at Stanford, and he approaches assholes and bullying and inappropriate behavior from a management perspective. So unfortunately for many of us, who aren't in management and don't have power, we can't create the kind of cultural changes and norms that we often want to because it requires administrators and leadership to agree with it. But that doesn't mean that you can't have the conversations around acceptable norms and appropriate behavior and interactions between colleagues and classmates whatsoever. In fact, I think it's important to have those conversations of, you know, what is expected behavior, what is considered professional behavior, and appropriate behavior. And one of the things that riles me up the most, especially in seeing online conversations about bullying behavior in academia or in the workplace, 
is there are these inadvertent apologists who will say things like, are you sure they're not from a culture that yells and screams and this is, you know, normal behavior or considered normal behavior? And that to me feels like enabling a lot. And I understand that cultures handle communication differently, but if you are in a Western university where screaming and yelling and shoving and bullying behavior, I mean, I just, I don't understand how we can justify that behavior. I've also seen the justification come from people who say, oh, well, that's just how that person is. And that's also enabling justifying behavior. So let me dive into the first chapter from the no asshole rule. And then I want to close this episode talking about some strategies that I've adopted from dealing with assholes, especially from a place of not having power to create, you know, department changes um, and, and what we can do about the assholes in our life. So chapter one, what workplace assholes do and why you know so many. Who deserves to be branded as an asshole? Many of us use the term indiscriminately, applying it to anyone who annoys us, gets in our way, or happens to be enjoying greater success than us at the moment. But a precise definition is useful if you want to implement the no asshole rule. It can help you distinguish between those colleagues and customers you simply don't like from those who deserve the label. It can help you distinguish people who are having a bad day or a bad moment, such as the temporary asshole, from permanently nasty and destructive jerks like the certified assholes. And a good definition can help you explain to others why your coworker, boss, or customer deserves a label or come to grips with why others say you are the asshole, at least behind your back, and why you might've earned it. Researchers such as Bennett Tepper who write about psychological abuse in the workplace define it as, quote, the sustained display of hostile verbal and nonverbal behavior excluding physical contact, unquote. That definition is useful as far as it goes, but it isn't detailed enough for understanding what assholes do and their effects on others. An experience I had as a young assistant professor is instructive for understanding how assholes are defined in this little book. When I arrived at Stanford as a 29-year-old researcher, I was an inexperienced, ineffective, and extremely nervous teacher. I got poor teaching evaluations in my first year on the job, and I deserved them. I worked to become more effective in the classroom and was delighted to win the Best Teacher Award in my department by student vote at the graduation ceremony at the end of my third year at Stanford. But my delight lasted only minutes. It evaporated when a jealous colleague ran up to me immediately after the graduating students marched out and gave me a big hug. She secretly and expertly extracted every ounce of joy I was experiencing by whispering in my ear in a condescending tone while sporting a broad smile for public consumption. Quote, well, Bob, now that you have satisfied the babies here on campus, perhaps you can settle down and do some real work, unquote. This painful memory demonstrates the two tests that I use for spotting whether a person is acting like an asshole. Test one, after talking to the alleged asshole, does the target feel oppressed, humiliated, de-energized, or belittled by this person? In particular, does the target feel worse about him or herself? Test two, 
Does the alleged asshole aim his or her venom at people who are less powerful rather than at those people who are more powerful? I can assure you that after that interaction with my colleague, which lasted less than a minute, I felt worse about myself. I went from feeling the happiest I had ever been about my work performance to worrying that my teaching award would be taken as a sign that I wasn't serious enough about research, the main standard used for evalu evaluating Stanford professors. This episode also demonstrates that although some assholes do their damage through open rage and arrogance, it isn't always that way. People who loudly insult and belittle their underlings and rivals are easier to catch and discipline. Two-faced backstabbers like my colleague, those who have enough skill and emotional control to save their dirty work for moments when they can't get caught, are tougher to stop, even though they may do as much damage as a raging maniac. There are many other actions. Sociologists call them interaction moves or simply moves that assholes use to demean and deflate their victims. I've listed 12 common moves, a dirty dozen, to illustrate the range of these subtle and not so subtle behaviors used by assholes. I suspect that you can add many more moves you've seen, been subjected to, or done to others. I hear and read about new mean-spirited moves nearly every day. Whether we are talking about personal insults, status slaps, which are quick moves that bat down social status and pride, shaming or status degradation rituals, jokes that are insult delivery systems, or treating people as if they are invisible, these and hundreds of other moves are similar in that they can leave targets feeling attacked and diminished, even if only momentarily. These are the means that assholes use to do their dirty work. The Dirty Dozen. Common everyday actions that assholes use. Number one, personal insults. Number two, invading one's personal territory. Number three, uninvited physical contact. Number four, threats and intimidation, both verbal and nonverbal. Number five, sarcastic jokes and teasing used as insult delivery systems. Number six, withering email flames. Number seven, status slaps intended to humiliate their victims. Number eight, public shaming or status degradation rituals. Number nine, rude interruptions. Number 10, two-faced attacks. Number 11, dirty looks. Number 12, treating people as if they are invisible. And aside from Genesee, um, number 12 is what I experienced a lot. The not-so-sweet thing that my colleagues whispered in my ear also helped demonstrate the difference between a temporary asshole and a certified asshole. It isn't fair to call someone a certified asshole based on a single episode like this one. We can only call the person a temporary asshole. So while I would describe the colleague in my story as being a temporary asshole, we would need more information before labeling her as a certified asshole. Nearly all of us act like assholes at times. I plead guilty to multiple offenses. I once became angry with a staff member who I wrongly believed was trying to take an office away from our group. I sent an insulting email to her and a copy to her boss, other faculty members, and her subordinates. She told me, you made me cry. I later apologized to her. And although I don't demean one person after another day in and day out, I was guilty of being a jerk during that episode. If you've never acted like an asshole even once in your life, 
please contact me immediately. I want to know how you've accomplished this superhuman feat. It is far harder to qualify as a certified asshole. A person needs to display a persistent pattern to have a history of episodes that end with one target after another feeling belittled, put down, humiliated, disrespected, oppressed, de-energized, and generally worse about themselves. Psychologists make the distinction between states, fleeting feeling, thoughts and actions, and traits, enduring personality characteristics, by looking for consistency across places and times. If someone consistently takes action that leaves a trail of victims in their wake, they deserve to be branded as certified assholes. We all have the potential to act like assholes under the wrong conditions when we are placed under pressure or especially when our workplace encourages everyone, especially the best and most powerful people, to act that way. Although it is best to use the term sparingly, some people do deserve to be certified as assholes because they are consistently nasty across places and times. Chainsaw, in quotation marks here, Al Dunlap is a well-known candidate. The former Sunbeam CEO who wrote the book Mean Business, Dunlap was notorious for verbal abuse he heaped on employees. In John Byrne's book Chainsaw, a Sunbeam executive described Dunlap as, quote, like a dog barking at you for hours. He just yelled, ranted, and raved. He was condescending, belligerent, and disrespectful, unquote. Another candidate is producer Scott Rudin, well-known as one of the nastiest Hollywood bosses. The Wall Street journalist estimated he went through 250 personal assistants between 2000 and 2005. Rudin claims his record shows only 119, but admitted this estimate excludes assistants who lasted less than two weeks. His ex-assistants told the journal that Rudin routinely swore and hollered at them one said he was fired for bringing Rudin the wrong breakfast mu muffin, while Mr. Rudin didn't recall, but admitted it was, quote-unquote, entirely possible. The online magazine Salon quotes a former assistant who received a 6.30 a.m. phone call from Rudin, asking him to remind Rudin to send flowers to Angelica Houston for her birthday. At 11 a.m. the same morning, Rudin called her into his office and screamed, Quote, you asshole, you forgot to remind me to get flowers for Angelica Houston's birthday, unquote. This former assistant added, quote, and as he slowly disappears behind his automatic closing door, the last thing I see is his finger flipping me off, unquote. Nor is such behavior confined to men. According to the New York Times, Linda Walkner, former CEO of Warnico, was infamous for publicly demeaning employees for missing performance goals or, quote, simply displeasing her, unquote. Chris Hine, former president of Warnico's Hathaway shirt division, told the New York Times, quote, when you did not make numbers, she would dress you down and make you feel knee-high, and it was terrifying, unquote. Other former employees reported that Wachner's attacks were often, quote, personal rather than professional, and not infrequently laced with crude references to sex, race, or ethnicity, unquote. Famous bosses aren't the only ones who persistently demean their underlings. Many of the email messages I got after my Harvard Business Review essay were tales about bosses who belittled and insulted their underlings day after day. Take the reader who wrote from Scotland, quote, a woman I know had a horrible boss. It was a very small office and didn't even have a toilet. 
She became pregnant and con consequently needed the loo a lot. Not only would she have to go to a neighboring shop, but the boss felt that the visits were too frequent and started counting them as her break time lunchtime, unquote. A former secretary at a large public utility told me that she quit her job because her female boss wouldn't stop touching her shoulders and her hair. Take the excerpt from Brutal Bosses and Their Prey of an interview that Harvey Hornstein did with one victim of multiple humiliations. Billy, he said, standing in the doorway so that everyone in the central area could see and hear us clearly. Billy, this is not adequate, really not at all. As he spoke, he crumpled the papers that he held, my work. One by one, he crumpled the papers, holding them out as if they were something dirty and dropping them inside my office as everyone watched. Then he said loudly, garbage in, garbage out. I started to speak, but he cut me off. You give me the garbage, now you clean it up. I did. Through the doorway, I could see people looking away because they were embarrassed for me. They didn't want to see what was in front of them. A 36-year-old man in a three-piece suit, stooping before his boss to pick up crumpled pieces of paper. If these stories are accurate, all these bosses deserve to be certified as assholes because they were consistently nasty to people they worked with, especially their underlings. This brings us to test two. Does the alleged asshole aim his or her venom at people who are less powerful rather than at those people who are more powerful? My colleague's behavior at the Stanford graduation ceremony qualifies because when the episode occurred, this person was more senior and more powerful than I was. This notion that a way to higher status person treats a lower status person is a good test of character isn't just my idea. A test reflecting the same spirit was used by Sir Richard Branson, founder of the Virgin Empire, to screen candidates for a reality television series where he selected billionaires in the rough. The rebel billionaire was meant to compete with Donald Trump's wildly successful show, The Apprentice. During the first episode, Branson picked up contestants at the airport while he was disguised as an arthritic old driver. Then he kicked two of them off the show for treating him so badly when they believed he was, quote unquote, an irrelevant human being. Again, there is a difference between isolated incidents where people act like assholes versus people who are certified assholes, who consistently aim their venom at less powerful people and rarely, if ever, at more powerful people. John R. Bolton, the controversial U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, meets the test if the testimony to the U.S. Congress is correct. President George W. Bush made the controversial decision to appoint Bolton when he was on the verge of failing to be confirmed by Congress. Bolton's reputation for dishing out psychological abuse to colleagues fueled the media frenzy surrounding his appointment. Melody Townsell, for example, testified that she experienced Bolton's nastiness when she worked as a contractor for the U.S. Agency for International Development in Moscow in 1994. Townsell reported that Bolton turned mean after she complained about the incompetence of a client that Bolton, a lawyer, represented. In Townsell's 2005 letter to the Foreign Senate Foreign Relations Committee, she claimed that Mr. Bolton proceeded to chase me through the halls of a Russian hotel, throwing things at me, shoving threatening letters under my door, and generally behaving like a madman. 
and that for nearly two weeks while I awaited fresh direction, John Bolton hounded me in such an appalling way that I eventually retreated to my hotel room and stayed there. Mr. Bolton, of course, was routinely visiting me there to pound on the door and shout threats. Townsell added, he made uncomfortable comments about my weight, my wardrobe, and with a couple of team leaders, my sexuality. In another testimony to the committee, former Bolton subordinate Carl Ford Jr., a fellow Republican, described him as, quote, a kiss up, kick down sort of guy, unquote. In my opinion, if these reports are true, they indicate that Bolton qualifies as a certified asshole because his abuse is part of a persistent pattern, not just something out of character that happened once or twice because he was having a bad day. I'm not alone in this view. The Village Voice published an article titled Wanted, Complete Asshole for UN Ambassador, which concluded that, quote, John Bolton has left a trail of alienated colleagues and ridiculed ideas. So we're at the 20 minute mark. I'm gonna take a pause here. I think we can probably identify people in our life who resemble this, even if not to such an extreme. You may have that classmate or colleague who yells and screams, and maybe you've actually heard people say, oh, that's just how they are. Or maybe you've been given the silent treatment and ignored, and a person just acts like you aren't there and talks to everybody else in a friendly manner, but refuses to acknowledge your presence or even look at you. Or maybe you get the passive-aggressive, demeaning emails. Here's the thing. There's a couple of things that we can do when we're in the situation with assholes. Number one, I would say find yourself a really good therapist who is going to develop some practical strategies that you can use when you are in meetings with committee members or just even how to deal with your own nervous system if you see them walking down the hallway or if you see them at a conference. But it really comes down to management. And that's what Bob Sutton says, is that management needs to get on board with weeding out assholes. And there are ways to do that with developing specific interview questions or ensuring that assholes do not get promoted or they get censured within a department. And it really is about department leadership. And so if you don't feel safe going to department leadership about assholish behavior, I would say get a couple of people with you who have also experienced the same thing because there's strength in numbers. And you might need to handle this anonymously. It, It wouldn't hurt to call the OEO office on campus or HR on campus and talk about strategies for handling this. The side note I will say about OEO and HR offices is that unfortunately, these offices oftentimes protect the institution rather than the person making the complaint. And you can read about that all over social media where folks who have made legitimate complaints, nothing happens. So I would say be careful about putting all of your eggs and your hopes into HR and OER and OEO. But the other thing I would say is you might need to develop some personal strategies yourself. So for example, in one Reddit post I was reading, 
someone was saying that they have a colleague who has been known to be a screamer for 20 years. And if anything, quote unquote, sets them off, they will start screaming and yelling in committee meetings to the point that it holds everybody hostage and everybody's nervous systems are just freaking out. And in this post, the the writer said too that this person has been known to shove someone out of the way to get out a door. Now, the fact that it has been known in the department that this person has been behaving this way for 20 years as part of their behavior, I think Bob Sutton would say qualifies them as a certified asshole. This is also a failure of leadership because who is taking this person aside and telling them that their behavior is inappropriate? And are they still getting, are these yellers and screamers still getting everything they want? Are they still getting the teaching schedules that they want? Are they still getting the awards that they want? Are they, are they still getting the demands you know, of what they want? Because people will yell and scream and act out to get what they want. And if you give them what they want, and if they're getting the reactions that they want, everybody kowtowing and placating them and enabling them, they're gonna continue screaming and yelling. So what can you do? I'll tell you some of the recommendations I've received. It is incredibly um, uncomfortable, especially if you are a people pleaser and you're nervous about setting boundaries and sticking up for yourself, but just get up and walk out. Get up and walk out. You don't need to storm out, huff out. You don't need to make threats. Just grab your stuff and walk out. Go do something else. There's no reason why you should stay in a meeting or a room with someone who is screaming. And if the committee chair or the department chair comes and asks you why you left at a later date, then you can explain your situation, that you're not going to be a part of this, that it's unproductive, that it is affecting the morale, that you're not going to be a part of it. The other thing that you might need to develop are just some strategies for your nervous system. So if you're at a conference or you know you know that you're going to be in a similar vicinity with someone who is an asshole and your nervous system is freaking out, maybe you're feeling anxious, maybe you're feeling depressed, um, maybe you have an adrenaline response, maybe you're getting um, sweating or feeling nauseous. I mean, those are all things that I've felt when I knew that I was going to be in the vicinity with someone who treated me really, really badly. Develop some deep breathing techniques Remind yourself that it is not your fault. Remind your body that it is going to be okay. And develop an exit plan. If you see that person walking down the hallway, you can turn around and walk around the other direction. Or if you see that person coming in your vicinity, it is okay to do something else. Turn to a neighbor and start a completely different conversation or put in your headphones or put on your sunglasses, you know, wherever you are. Come up with a plan so that your body and your brain knows that there is an out. And then I would also recommend developing some rewards. So if you know that you're going to be someplace with a certified asshole or, you know, a temporary asshole, schedule rewards 
for immediately after that event. So do something directly that is enjoyable and that is good for your body and your brain and your mind after that committee meeting or after that department meeting or after that conference panel. Go and reward yourself. Go for a walk. Go for a drive. Go to your favorite Thai food restaurant. Go walk on the treadmill. Go ride your horse. Whatever it might be, give yourself some reward after that really difficult time. The reward reduces the anxiety response. It helps you breathe deeply. It helps you relax. It helps re-regulate your nervous system. And it also gives you something to look forward to. So if you find yourself getting really stressed out, anticipating that next committee meeting or that next conference, where that certified asshole is going to be, if you know that you've planned a reward in advance for directly after it or later in the day, you can say, you know what, I'm so looking forward to going to that llama farm that I've always wanted to go to, or I'm so looking forward to going mountain biking, or I'm so looking forward to going surfing and focus your attention on that to retrain your brain and body. So to recap really quickly, when we're dealing with assholes in our lives, we need specific strategies. So get a therapist. Write out some things that you are going to do. Maybe you're going to get up and walk out. Maybe you're going to turn around in the hallway. Maybe you are going to have your headphones in with your favorite music playing and your sunglasses on. Whatever the case may be, come up with a plan for how to handle it. If you feel comfortable talking to your committee chair or your department chair, go and talk to them about how this behavior is ongoing and it's affecting productivity, it's affecting the ability to do the work well, it's affecting motivation, it's affecting morale, okay? So talk about it in terms of, hey, we're not able to accomplish what we have been tasked to accomplish. Have that conversation. Maybe even put it back in the chair or, you know, the committee chair, the department chair's court, or maybe even the dean's court and say, what would you do if you were in my situation, right? Because Sometimes we actually have to ask the people in power to give us concrete recommendations because we need them to think through what the consequences are going to be or what the results are going to be or how to address the situation. Sometimes they need to be point blank asked. If you were in this situation and you were in my shoes, what would you do? What do you recommend I do? And so get concrete recommendations from other people around you. Maybe, you know, as a committee, go talk to the department chair or have the committee chair talk to the department chair. If no one is going to be on your side and you're stuck with the asshole, I would say strategize for ways to get away from the asshole. Walk out. Don't give the asshole what they want, which is the pleasure of them seeing you squirm and get uncomfortable and feeling like you are stuck and can't go anywhere, take that power back and leave the room. Then they don't get what they want from you. 
of course, your mileage may vary, and there's so many nuanced, I mean, complications in academia. And so that's why, you know, I keep on saying, go find a really good therapist, whether that's on campus or off campus, somebody who understands um, systems and dynamics with people and organizations. And if your department is a certifiable asshole department, you need you might need to consider whether or not you want to go back on the job market or transfer if you're in your graduate program. I mean, you're going to have to ask yourself, are you willing to come up with strategies and deal with the stress of this behavior for how many years you plan on being there? So I recommend Bob Sutton's book, The No Asshole Rule. It's a great book for managers and those people who manage teams. He offers recommendations for how to set boundaries and rules in place. Um, And if you're not even in management, it just might be cathartic for you to read these stories and to know that you did not do anything wrong to bring this asshole-ish behavior onto you. In fact, you being a kind, good person just might mean that you were seen as a target and someone who could be easily controlled. And think about how you might take that power back. All right, my friends, I hope you have a really nice rest of your week and I will talk to you later. Bye. (laughs) Bye.